Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. This teaching is from the series, Christ Through Their Eyes, which was taught to help us celebrate Advent in 2021. Advent is a time to reflect upon the coming of Christ, which was revealed progressively to many people in the scripture. In this series, we consider several of these perspectives on Christ and his Advent. We hope this helps you understand and apply God's word in your life today. We're going to go ahead and dig into God's word for today as we're beginning a, a new series in Advent uh, that we are calling Christ Through Their Eyes. Uh, actually, Simeon is going to be teaching one week and Bobby is going to be teaching one week as part of this series. Uh, I'm going to be kicking us off today. Uh, and we're going to be looking at Revelation chapter 1, verses 12 to 18, and then Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 to 16. They're in your book. They'll be on the screen. Uh, I encourage you also just to follow along in your Bible as we are looking at uh, God's Word uh, here in the book of Revelation. So hear now the word of the risen, reigning, and returning King. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. When I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. His head and his hair were like white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like a blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. In Revelation 19, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. May God bless the reading of his word. Recently, uh, I saw an article, it was in my news feed on my phone, and uh, there were actually two articles about it, and they were asking, why do we have a seven-day week? They were saying that this didn't make any sense. Now, my immediate reaction was, oh, I know, I know why we have a seven-day week. In fact, our smallest kids in the church could explain to you why we have a seven-day week, because 
God said there's seven days in a week. But it prompted me to think there's a deeper question that's going there with that, which is why do we have calendars and why are there actually different calendars? Most of the world is pretty much settled on a seven-day week, but there are actually several different calendars in our world. For example, the Jewish calendar. It is the year 5782 right now. And the Jewish calendar is based on a lunar calendar. It follows the moon. But it does adjustments to keep up with the solar calendar. Because one of the problems is if you just follow the time of the moon, pretty soon what was harvest season one year is going to be planting season another year. And they don't want to do that, so they have to kind of make adjustments as they go along. But it's basically lunar, whereas ours is completely solar. The Chinese calendar, it is the year 4718. They also have kind of a mix of a lunar and solar calendar, but they bring in what is known as a 12-year cycle. So every year has a name. Does anybody know what this year is? It's the year of the rat, which for those of us who live near all the politics in D.C. say, isn't every year the year of the rat? I mean, it seems that way to me. But no, actually, this year is the year of the rat. Next year will be a different year. Well, we don't oftentimes speak of it this way here at Bay Ridge. We're, we're not, you know, a fully liturgical church. But when we're celebrating Advent, we're following what is known as the church calendar. And the church developed a calendar with its own rhythms and patterns and distinctives from the ancient world. Because calendars help us to kind of set a pattern down, help us think in recurring cycles. That's what their purpose is. And the church calendar has this. And we're talking about Advent, which is actually the beginning of the church calendar year. This is, this is the equivalent of January the 1st in the church calendar. It is the beginning of the new year. And so we celebrate Advent, which we all think of as really being about Christmas. And it is, but... Advent is also about the return of Christ. In the church calendar, the final Sunday, previous to the beginning of the year, is called Christ the King. And the scripture readings that are happening in the liturgy and, and liturgical churches today, many of them deal with the second coming of Christ. And so we're going to be looking at this series, Christ Through Their Eyes, and we're going to see a whole variety of perspectives, beginning all the way back with God's word to Eve, and moving forward. But I'm going to start us today. You may have wondered, why do we start in the book of Revelation? I thought this was Christmas season. Well, we're reading about the advent of Jesus Christ, the second advent of Christ. And so we're going to talk about that today. Now, the book of Revelation is pretty interesting because a lot of Christians kind of think about it. We call it, you know, the revelation of John. This is the revelation that John the apostle had. But actually, we're told in Revelation 1.1, we won't turn there, the reason the book is called Revelation is we're told this is the revelation or apocalypse. That's the Greek word apocalypto. This is the apocalypse, the revelation of Jesus Christ. We tend to think of it as, oh, it's a revelation about all these things that are going to happen in the future. But that's not actually what the book tells us it's about. It's about a revelation, an unveiling of Jesus Christ in all of his glory. So 
the book is not really centered on a lot of the things we suppose, but rather about seeing Jesus in all of his risen, reigning, and returning glory. That's what structures the book of Revelation. So notice right here at the beginning, John has a vision of the risen Christ. In verses 12 to 16, you know, John says he's heard a voice and he turns around to see the voice. And he says, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man. And he describes him as being in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. And his eyes were blazing like fire and his feet are bronze glowing in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. And he says at the end, his face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. This is a picture of the resurrected glorified Christ. But I want you to notice, for those of us who've been here and we've been studying the book of Daniel, this should sound very familiar. One like a son of man is from Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. I'll I'll put that verse up later and we'll look at it. But uh, John's already being given a clue here that there's a relationship back to the book of Daniel. Notice also that the, the description of Jesus as being in a white robe with a golden sash and a fiery appearance is very much like the vision we looked at in the last uh, couple of weeks in Daniel chapter 10 through 12. Specifically in Daniel chapter 10, the vision he's given is very, very similar to this. It's also like Ezekiel chapter 1. So there is a going back to these prophecies that we've even actually been looking at in the book of Daniel. And I want you to notice here this is an awesome picture of Jesus, is it not? I mean, I could hear some of y'all as, we, as I was reading the opening text, the response going on. And notice this awesome picture, and Daniel has the same reaction. You remember, I mean, John has the same reaction Daniel did. You remember we, we looked a couple weeks ago when Daniel had the vision, remember he fell down. And the angels had to keep getting him back up, and three times until they had to strengthen me. They had to strengthen me. I couldn't even speak. And One might say, well, you know, that was the old covenant. In the new covenant, you know, we're buddies with Jesus, right? Well, look at John's response in verse 17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. This is John, the beloved apostle. This is John, who on the night of Jesus' betrayal sat next to Christ and leaned his head in close to Jesus and laid there and whispered to him and talked to him. This is one who some say is the best friend of Jesus. But see, that's Jesus in the incarnation. That's Jesus when the glory has been veiled. John's now seeing Jesus still fully incarnate, but the glory is coming through. And John's response is, yeah, I'm not putting my head on that chest. I'm not leaning back and having a chat. I fell down and thought I was dead. Because this is a glorious vision of Christ. Notice all the references to Jesus' deity. Uh, We've seen, you know, where he talked about he was the son of man. That reference in the book of Daniel, as we're going to see in a minute, is not a reference to Jesus' humanity. It's a reference to his deity. Uh, Furthermore, the the entire description that we've looked at is one of deity. It's the, the same picture that we had in Daniel and in Ezekiel. When Ezekiel has a vision of God... It uses the same descriptors here. Ezekiel had a glimpse of what John was later going to see in in the fullness of glory in Jesus Christ. And also notice 
Jesus' self-description. I am the first and the last, you know, the Alpha and the Omega. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I'm alive forever and ever. These are descriptions of God himself. I am the living one. I don't draw my life from anyone or anything else. I am life itself. Uh, I'm the, be the beginning and the end, the first and the last. I encapsulate everything within myself. And furthermore, notice Jesus' final description where he's talking about the fact that he has risen and he has conquered death. I was dead and behold, I am alive. Man, we, we can read by that so quickly, but what an amazing statement. I was dead. But I raised up. I shattered death's hold. I ripped its fingers off of me, and I am alive forevermore. And not only am I alive, I went to death and to Hades, and I snatched the keys out of their hand. They do not have control over death or hell. I do. It is all in my authority. Can you see why John fell down? I mean, this is an amazing glimpse of who Jesus is. And friends, this is ultimate victory over death. Not just for him. It's one thing if he conquered death himself, but that might not do something for you and I. But he's dangling the keys. And he says, I have all authority. This is a vision of the risen Christ. But there's more here in Revelation chapter 1, and that is that this is a vision of the reigning Christ, that he is currently reigning. Uh, in verses 12 and 13, he says, you know, I turned around, I saw the voice, and there was someone again, and you know, the NIV helpfully puts it in quotes, they didn't actually have quotes in Greek, but one like a son of man. They're doing that because, oh, this is the book of Daniel. And I remind us that the, the vision in the book of Daniel is of the ascended Christ as he is receiving full authority. I'll go back and put up what we had looked at in the book of Daniel in recent months. In Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14, Daniel there, you remember this is when he's seeing the fourth beast. Which is said, you remember there's the four beasts, and there's the little horn, the Antichrist, and they're all speaking, and they're all doing this. And in the middle of the vision comes crashing in this picture into the throne room of heaven, and one like a son of man, where real authority lies. It's not in the beast, it's not in a little horn, it's not in the Antichrist, it's none of that stuff. Real authority is with the son of man. And so notice in Daniel 7, 13 and 14, we read, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples and nations and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. I remind us, this is a picture of Jesus in the ascension. Notice, he's not coming on clouds from heaven to earth. This is him riding on the clouds up to the Father. And yet, he's able to go into the ancient days, one that no one would dare approach. He walks up, and he is given ultimate authority. 
And we are told, this is not like Babylon or Medo-Persia. This is not like the Greek empires or the Roman empires. Rome may last for a thousand years. Men like to make much of their kingdoms, right? The Third Reich, where the Roman Empire raised up, will last for a thousand years or maybe 12, right? Because that's the way we are in our pretensions. But Daniel says, I saw one, and he has a kingdom that is forever. And he is king of kings, he is lord of lords, because people from every nation are worshiping him. This is a vision of the ascended Christ. And friends, this is good news for us. I want to remind you, please, we of all people should be people of hope, because we are seeing this come true today. The gospel is spreading. The, the gospel is on the move around the world. I have the privilege of serving on the board of a persecuted church ministry, and we were just talking recently that the rate of growth of the church in Iran is astounding right now. They, everybody thought that it was done in 1979. Not true. Everybody worried when communism fell on China. People in the West thought, how will the church survive? Jesus, sitting on the throne, said, very well, thank you very much. In fact, the church has grown in China. There are more uh, Bible-believing, solid, walking-with-Jesus Christians in China than there are in America. Okay? And, friends, looking, when, when they try to project out 20 or 30 years from now, do you realize if they take the 10 countries with the highest populations of Christians in the world, America is the only European or, you know, Western democracy kind of a country that makes the top 10. The church is growing in places like Kenya and Uganda and Nigeria. The church is growing in China. The church is growing throughout Central and South America. Thanks be to God. He's been given authority glory, sovereign power, and people from every nation, every language will worship him. Notice furthermore, he's walking among the lampstands, which in the book of Revelation are a picture of the church. And he's Lord among these churches because he's going to start writing to the churches in just a minute and tell them what's going to happen. And then in verse 18, we're told again, he possesses authority over death and Hades now. I'm the living one. I'm dead. Behold, I'm alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. These keys, you know, we again don't use this very often today. We, every once in a while, will, you know, symbolically give someone the key to the city, right? Because there used to actually be walls around cities, and you had to have a key to get in the gate. The, the key represents authority, and Jesus says, I have it. Not Look, I'm going to give you a revelation. We're going to talk about it because sometime in the future I'm going to get the key. I have the key now. When I crushed death and I rode the clouds and ascended to the Father, I have the keys of death and Hades. And this is good news because it means he can unlock the door for any one of us. We sing that uh, hymn, Arise, My Soul, Arise, where it talks about long my, long my imprisoned spirit lay in sin and darkness night, and in thine eye diffused a quickening ray. Okay, see, that's, Jesus can unlock that door, and the fact is, you are here right now, and I am here right now, because that's exactly what he did. You were dead, and so was I. And he spoke, 
and we raised up. And it is a picture of the future when we will be dead, when we will be in our grave, when we will be nothing but dust, and he's going to jangle the key, and he's going to speak the word, and up we will rise. Just like we sang this morning. So that is a vision of not only the risen Christ, but the reigning Christ. And then finally, John has a vision of the returning Christ. And we see this towards the end of the book of Revelation. In the great vision, it really runs all the way through chapters 19, 20, and and to 21 and 22. But notice the awesome picture we have as he reads about Jesus. And he says, Jesus comes on a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. And again, notice his eyes are a blazing fire. And on his head are many crowns. And he speaks of him as being, uh, his name as being the very word of God. What an amazing picture we are given here. And notice that all of this is a picture now of Jesus reigning. Uh, and and his, at his return. He is faithful, and he is true. Uh, he's got all these crowns on. This one is the Word of God, which for John goes right back. Do you remember the very beginning of John's Gospel? What's the first revelation John has about Jesus in his first coming? Is This one is the Word of God, the one through whom all things were created. That's the one who became incarnate. John says, now I've got a glimpse of at the very end of time, and he comes back, he's still the Word of God. And he comes back, and he who created everything is coming back to set everything right. That's the picture he's given here in Revelation 1. But notice here, he's also writing forth to war. We're told... That actually, uh, in verse 11, uh, if you can go back one screen for a second, Brooke. In verse 11, notice there in the orange, with justice, he judges and he makes war. So this return is distinct from the first return. Now, as we look at verses 14 and 16, uh, we see here a whole description of it. Notice he's writing forth to war, and he's got his armies, his followers are with him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. And thanks be to God that we have white linen, fight and clean because of the work that Christ has done for us. And notice we're told he is judging the nations. We're told uh, out of his mouth comes a sharp sword which to strike down the nations. And we've, we've again got a quote, he will rule them with an iron scepter. This is Psalm 2. You remember when we spent six weeks earlier in the year doing Psalm 1 and Psalm 2? All this stuff ties together. We've spent an entire year, actually, in many ways, looking through these themes and meditating on them slowly. In Psalm 2, there is the Son that God says is installed, that God says rules and reigns, and He says, Ask of me, and I'll make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession which is all these nations that will come to him. And he's told, you will rule the nations with an iron scepter. And so John here at the end says, yes, Psalm 2 has come to fruition. So Jesus here is the returning Christ coming to finish God's eternal plan. And I want you to think how different is the second advent from the first. The first time he came to redeem, when he returns, he's coming back to judge. The first time he came in humility, we're going to talk a lot about that during the season on Christmas Eve, you know, we'll all talk about, and and people love, right, sweet little baby Jesus. 
Okay, well, when he returns on a white horse in a robe dipped in blood, it's not sweet little baby Jesus. He's returning in glory. The first time he came to serve. I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for me. When he returns, he's coming to reign. The first time he came to suffer, now he comes to execute justice. In short, the first time he came and he stood in front of Pilate and was judged, when he returns, Pilate will stand in front of him. It's a very different coming. So how do we apply this? What does this mean for you and me today as we're beginning Advent season here in 2021? Uh, there's really just a simple question I want to ask, and then we'll come to the Lord's table. Do I have a focus on the risen, reigning, and returning Christ? We're going to look at different perspectives uh, that, that we're given in Scripture on Jesus throughout this series. But sometimes when we come to Advent, you know, people enjoy Christmas more than Easter in our culture. A lot of people like Christmas because we like sweet baby Jesus. I remind you of that, uh, th that great uh, statement of truth in the movie uh, Ricky Bobby and Talladega Nights where, you know, the guy says, I, I kind of like sweet baby Jesus. That's the Jesus I like. Okay, see, that's our whole culture. We like sweet baby Jesus because sweet baby Jesus we can kind of be in control of. And so we like to, fo uh, to focus on that. And let me say, thank God for the incarnation. We're lost without it. Thank God that our God was humble enough to take on human flesh. To, to Jesus set aside his prerogatives. He veiled his glory. He took our nature to himself and he did all of this for us and for our salvation. And thanks be to God, we would be lost without it. But we start Advent this year by reminding ourselves the story does not end in the manger. It's an incomplete story if we stop there. Our story includes the fact that Jesus lived for us, that Jesus died for us, that Jesus was raised for us and for our salvation. Our story includes the fact that Jesus ascended to the Father. As the Son of Man, he rode on the clouds of glory. He came in and he is seated at the right hand. And he is right now ruling all things. And our story points forward to the return of Christ when he will complete God's eternal plan. God's plan is still on track and Jesus is going to bring it to fullness at his return. And so we look forward, even as we sang in the very first song this morning, even so, come Lord Jesus, as the choir sang about the second coming, come quickly, Lord Jesus, we cry that out as God's people because the return of Christ is when everything is set right. Many of us were here yesterday uh, because of the memorial service for Dick Dykeman. And I, and I have to remind you, if, if our gospel doesn't answer those moments, it doesn't answer anything. Okay? We, we have to recognize that. There are many people in our world who claim to be materialists. And I say claim to be because none of them actually live that way. Because if you're truly a materialist, then life has no 
meaning. There's no point in saying, I'm sorry someone died. That's just the way there are atoms that are randomly bouncing off of each other. That's what happened. It doesn't matter. There is no meaning to anything. Nobody can live that way. In those moments, they try to smuggle in elements of the gospel to help them. See, here's the good news. We can have the gospel for all of life. It applies to everything, past, present, and future. And so we look forward to Christ returning. And think of, again, how much of a focus this has been for us this year. And I didn't even realize it at the beginning of the year. But in Psalm 1 and 2, when we talked about the way and Christ's rule and how he is the king, and and that is uh, the, the focus there throughout the book of Psalms. When we look in the book of Daniel, Christ the eternal king, ruling over the eternal kingdom of God. That's actually been our focus for almost this whole year. What I want to encourage you is, let's not forget that as we move through Advent, okay? Thank God for the incarnation, and we're going to be talking about that, but let's not revert to our culture's sweet baby Jesus mindset. Jesus is the one we're seeing here in Revelation chapter 1 and 19. That's who is our king. And it's a hope that's going to sustain us through our year, whatever calendar you use. Doesn't matter if you follow the Jewish calendar or the Chinese calendar or the typical calendar, if you're really big in church, whatever it is, it is the return of Christ. We mark our calendar off actually based on when Christ came. We try to hide that now because everybody likes to speak it now before the common era, all of which is silliness. What common era? Oh, you mean when Christ came. Gotcha. Uh, That's what you mean by that, okay? We mark it off from then, and it's going to end at his return, when we go into the eternal day. So I want to encourage you, this Advent, as you're going through, don't just look back, look forward, because the forward also sustains our hope. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to come to the Lord's table, and um, this is particularly appropriate today um, as we're focusing on the return of Christ because this table looks forward to the table. It looks forward to the, mar- uh, the marriage supper of the Lamb. It looks forward to the invitation that Jesus gives to every one of us. And so I want to remind and urge you, as, as we are here and we're doing this, this is, this is a wonderful thing to begin our Advent season to start by saying we're going to look forward and we're going to prepare. Actually, in traditional church calendars, they don't even really sing Christmas carols and do all that until actually Christmas Day hits. They, because they say this is a season of preparation where it's kind of really a season of almost fasting, getting ready for the celebration of the coming of Christ. And that's where you have the 12 days of Christmas and all of those kind of things. We won't necessarily do all that. It's pretty much impossible not to even hear Christmas carols in our culture, right? Everywhere you go, they're going to be around. But I want to encourage us, keep looking forward as well. Because our hope, again, thanks be to God, did not end at the manger. Our hope ends when Jesus is going to sit with you and I and say, here's the cup. And I've been waiting to do this with you since that Passover night. That's the hope that we have. And this table, I remind us, is for those who are believers, those who are followers of Jesus Christ. 
if you are here and you are a believer in Jesus Christ, that you believe the very things we've been singing and talking about all morning, that I, you know, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. If you believe that, this is your table. If you don't believe that, if you're trusting on your own and you think you can stand in front of the one we just read about in Revelation 1 and 19, good luck. But you should not partake of the table because the table is a statement that I believe this. This is my only hope. I don't have a plan B. I trust in the work of Christ. So, I want to encourage us, hear the invitation that Jesus himself gives in the book of Revelation. This is right before where we read in Revelation 19. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, both small and great. And then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. And then the angel said to me, Write, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. This is the greatest blessing I could possibly offer. You are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Brothers and sisters, come and eat and rejoice that we serve a risen, reigning, and returning King. For what I receive from the Lord Jesus, I pass on to you. That in the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out so that your sins may be forgiven. Drink from this, all of you, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death, until he comes. Father, we thank you for this table. We thank you for inviting us to this table. And we thank you, Lord, that as rich and full is our experience at this table, it points to the consummation when it will be Jesus who will be ministering and serving us. We look forward to that day and say, even so, come Lord Jesus, come. Go ahead and take the bread uh, out of the packet, and we will give thanks to God. Lord Jesus, at this time of year, 
many in our country and around the world will celebrate Christmas. Yet very often we miss the marvel of the Incarnation. That you, being in very nature God, made yourself nothing, taking our nature to yourself. And being truly and fully human, you humbled yourself, obeying and keeping the law and covenant in our place. And by that obedience and righteousness, we are saved. We take this bread, your body, in recognition that you alone are the source of salvation and righteousness. And as we do so, we look forward to the day when we will celebrate with you at the marriage supper and the eternal kingdom. Brothers and sisters, take and eat. Lord Jesus, though you are the eternal Son of God, and though after taking our nature you were perfect in obedience, you shed your blood on the cross, bearing the wrath that we were due, taking the covenant curse in our place, and giving every covenant blessing to us. So we take this cup, your blood, in recognition that your blood alone cleanses us from all sin, both now and forever. And we look forward to the day when you will drink the cup with us in the eternal kingdom. Brothers and sisters, take and drink. Let's stand together. And as we do, uh, as always, as I'm crying out to the Holy Spirit, I urge you to cry out in your own words, asking the Spirit of God to seal His work in our hearts. Holy Spirit, you are the down payment the earnest deposit of our full inheritance as the children of God. Through you, we long for the day when we will see our Lord Jesus Christ face to face. The day we will be freed from sin. The day we will rejoice with our God and His people forever. Stir up in us an increasing longing for the day of Christ's return and the glories that will follow. Dull our desire for sin. Rouse our passion for purity and righteousness. And open doors for us this week to testify of Christ, the one who came, the one who is risen, reigning, and is our returning King. We ask this, that you would do these things throughout this Advent season in the name of our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. And God's people say, Amen. Amen. Now, may the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know Him better, so that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance in 
his holy people, and his incomparably great power at work in us who believe. The power that is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that can be named, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. May that power of God rest in you this week. Brothers and sisters, you are blessed. Go forth and be a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.